Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Your Bibles, your devices, uh, however you look at Scripture, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. I'm going to be in verses 28 to 30. We've got a very serious subject in front of us this morning. We're going to talk about the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin. In fact, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to minister your word. And Father, I just pray right now that if there's any distractions or anything that they'll just leave, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and more importantly, hearts to believe. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what you were sent here to do, what even the word apart from you will not do, and that is to convict human beings of sin. We ask you to do that this morning, right here at River of Life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been around Christianity or the church or the Bible for any uh, length of time, you probably are at least somewhat familiar that there is an unforgivable sin. But if you're new to Christianity or you're new to the church or you're new to Scripture, you may have no idea. That scripture tells us that there is one sin, just one. And if you commit this sin, there is no forgiveness for you. Not in this life, and certainly not in the life to come. Now the scripture that, that defines this, or tells us about this, is the one in front of us today, Mark chapter 3, verses 28 to 30. I'm going to read that. These are the words of Jesus. He said this, Truly... I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now I want to say three fairly general things about this before we dig into it. The ESV study Bible calls this one of the most enigmatic sayings of Jesus' ministry. Now, I'll look that word up just so you didn't have to. That word enigmatic means puzzling, means mysterious, it means difficult to interpret. And this, there is certainly a lot of questions that are raised by this saying, and I'm going to try to answer some of those for you this morning. The second thing I want to say about this saying of Jesus is that it is absolutely shocking. It's shocking. I mean, come on, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, teaches us that God is good, and God is kind, and God is long-suffering, and God is, is compassionate, and God is ready to forgive. Micah 7.18 in the Old Testament says that He delights in showing mercy. He delights in it. It, it gives Him pleasure, if you will, to show mercy. Yet, Jesus says there is one sin for which he will show no mercy. And that should absolutely shock us. The third thing that I'll point out about this saying, it is, it is incredibly disturbing. I don't know of a single human being who's ever heard this uh, saying or read this saying who doesn't immediately think what? Have I done this? 
Everybody does. That's your natural reaction. You automatically think, well, man, I, in the, back in the day, I did some stupid things. I said some stupid, ignorant things. Did I make that mistake? Did I do something that there's no forgiveness for, that there's no coming back from? Now, some of us can ask that question and we can move on from it. But do you know there are people that that sits on them like a weight? That there, and there may be some of you here today, I don't know. I, if there are, I'm hoping I can help you today. But there are some of you that this, is, this is, it can, can even get to the point where it causes you anguish. To put it plainly, this verse is scary. I mean, this is a scary, scary verse. Now, I'm going to try to answer some questions about it. But before I do, I want to dig into the past. Uh, before we dig into it, I want to get a little context. What, what was going on at that time? What in the world would make Jesus say what he just said? Well, if you go back in time, Jesus, most of you probably know, Jesus' ministry lasted approximately about three years. From the time that he started his ministry to the time that he died on the cross was about, was about three years. And this situation occurs very early in his ministry, almost certainly uh, within the first year. Now, Jesus begins his ministry in a region called Galilee. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He wouldn't have gone to New York City or Atlanta or Miami. He goes to uh, Spring Creek. He goes to Hosford. He goes to... T Stop Choppy was too big for him. He went to Two Egg. Seriously. He went to these little backwater towns and villages, and, and that's where he began his ministry. And if you open and begin to read the Gospel of Mark, he's healing people just left and right. And his fame is spreading like wildfire throughout the, the region. In, in Mark chapter 1, Mark tells us about two very specific miracles that he, commit, that he does very early in his ministry. One is in the uh, synagogue at Capernaum, he cast a, a devil out of a demon-possessed man. Nobody did that back then. And even the demons obeyed his, his, his word. The other thing he did is he healed a leper. There was no cure for leprosy back then. And he left that man as clean as a whistle. That was incredible. You get to Mark chapter 2 and there's a, a very famous uh, miracle that we all know. He's in a house in Capernaum. The house is so crowded you can't get in the front door. And some friends climb up on the roof and they let a paralyzed man down through the ceiling. And Jesus looks at that man and says, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisee says, well, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, what do you think it's easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk? And then he said this, so you'll know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. He turned and said, rise up and walk. What a, what a miracle. Can you imagine what is going on through Galilee? I mean, it gives me chill bumps even saying it. Just think about being there at that time. You get to Mark chapter 3, another famous uh, uh, miracle. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a man with a, with a withered hand. And it says the Pharisees were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Can you believe that? How dare he do that? And he did exactly that. He healed that man. Now, the people... Common, ordinary people saw all these things and they came to the normal conclusion. That man is from God. Amen. That man is the son of David. That man must be the Messiah. After all, how can you do those things if God is not with you? That's the, the normal conclusion, but not everybody came to that conclusion. In fact, if you go read Mark 3, right after verse 5, where he heals the withered hand, verse 6 says this, the Pharisees went out 
and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. By the way, in that day, the Pharisees and the Herodians were like uh, Republicans and Democrats. Seriously, one was conservative, one was liberal. They didn't agree on anything. They didn't cooperate on anything. They didn't like each other. They didn't have anything to do with each other. But they finally found one thing that they could both agree on, that Jesus had to die. And that brings us up to Mark 3.22. And I'll read this for you, and I think we're going to put it on the screen. It says this, and the scribes, now we're going to talk about these guys in a minute, but they're like religious lawyers, if you will. It says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. Now this is interesting. I remember the first time I read that, Beelzebul with an L. I thought, that's not right. I've always heard that pronounced Beelzebub, haven't you? With a B. Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub, you'll find him in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 1. He was a Philistine god. And his name, Beelzebub, with a B, means Lord of the Flies. He was a, a, a particularly contemptible deity. And the Jews, because they had such contempt for him, they changed the B to an L. And Beelzebub, instead of meaning Lord of the Flies, means Lord of the Poop. I'm not making it up. It means Lord of the Dung. That's exactly what it means. So he's this particularly contemptible deity. So they change his name and, and they use his name, Beelzebul, as an epitaph or a slur for Satan. Now here's what I want you to understand. When they say he is possessed by Beelzebul, what they are saying is he is possessed by Satan. He is possessed by the devil. Now... We got to ask this question. Well, why, why would they do that? What, what would make them do something like that? Well, as I just said, scribes were religious lawyers. They were teachers. They were rabbis. In that day, most Jews believed that the difference between going to heaven or going to hell was how you kept the law. Did you obey the rules? So if you had something you wanted to do and you needed to figure out, was this right or wrong, guess who you went to? You went to a scribe. And you ask them, is this right or wrong? So they had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence with the people. And of course, Jesus was a threat to that. In fact, if you go back to Mark one twenty-two, it says this, And they, talking about the people, were astonished at his teaching, talking about Jesus, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. You see, the scribes, if you ever went to a scribe and you said, Hey man, I, I want to do this. Is this right or wrong? And the, the old scribe would scratch his head and he'd say, well, now Rabbi so-and-so said this about this scripture, but Rabbi so In other words, they would refer to a human being. The re human being said this. Jesus just stood up and said, no, it means this. He didn't refer to nobody, almost as if he had written it. He spoke as one who had authority. So these scribes, their, their power, their influence is under threat and they need to bring Jesus down. They need to do something so the people don't, don't look at him with such awe. But they got a real big problem. Because here's the thing, they can't deny the miracles. This wasn't done in some four-off place. The guy with the leprosy, he's right over there in Capernaum. You can go talk to him. The, the paralytic who was uh, paralyzed for all them years is back at work supporting his family. You can go talk to him. The blind see, the deaf hear, the demon-possessed people are in their right mind. You can't deny the miracles. They're right there. It's a small community. It's a small region. 
You can't deny, by the way, that they were supernatural. A doctor didn't heal that leprosy. There was no cure. You can't deny that, that, uh, that uh, they, the doctor didn't open blind eyes or heal deaf ears or do, or, or do any of those things. It had to be supernatural. And by the way, you can't deny that Jesus did it because everybody saw him. He was the one that laid his hands on the leper. He was the one that commanded the, the demon to go and he, he left. So here's, here's their thinking. Okay, yes, it was a miracle. Yes, it was supernatural. And yes, Jesus did it, but he did it by the power of the devil. That's how he did it. And that brings us to our statement today, Mark 3, 28 through 30. Let's read it again. This is Jesus' response to what they said. He said, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying that he has an unclean spirit. Now, as I said earlier, this raises all kind of questions. All kind of questions. I want to know, what, what exactly is this sin? Why is it unforgivable? That's the one that I want to know. Why is this sin above all sins unforgivable? Can it be committed today? Can a Christian commit this sin? Can, or let me ask this, have you or I ever committed this sin? Now, I want to answer those questions as best I can. And I'm going to try to do that in the next few minutes. And in doing so, I hope to clear up some misconceptions about this sin and I also hope to put some minds at ease today. If you're one of those who is worried about this, I'm hoping I can put your mind at ease. So five questions I'm going to ask and answer. Number one, what exactly is this sin? I would describe it this way. It is a willful and deliberate slandering of the person or work of the Holy Spirit. It is a deliberate and willful slandering of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now listen. Most people that worry whether or not they've committed this sin, they worry, they think, man, maybe back in the day I accidentally said something. Or out of ignorance I said something that I shouldn't have. Let me tell you, you do not need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about that. I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, the only example we have in the Bible of someone committing this sin clearly shows that this is a willful and deliberate act. These, were, these scribes who came down, they had revelation. They had evidence. It was undeniable. Again, they couldn't deny the miracles. They couldn't deny it was supernatural. They couldn't de deny that Jesus did it. It was all right there in front of them. There were, as I said, they could have went and talked to the leper. They could have talked to the paralyzed man. They could have talked to the man that was demon-possessed. Everything was right there in front of them. And they not only rejected it, they slandered it. They called it evil. They called it demonic. They called it satanic. I'm going to give you another reason. This term that Jesus uses, or this saying that there's a sin that's unforgivable, did you know it's not found anywhere else in the New Testament? Now, it's found in all three synoptic gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all record what Jesus said. But Peter never mentions it. Paul never mentions it. James never mentions it. The Apostle John never mentions it in their letters in the New Testament. But there is one scripture in the book of Hebrews that it's not the exact same thing, 
but it at least shows something very closely. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read it to you. The writer of Hebrews says this, For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and they fall away, and here's what's impossible. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Now, that is a passage for another day. Okay? I'm not going to go into that passage, but here's what I want you to see. The people in this passage are enlightened. They, are, they have tasted of the goodness of the Word of God. They have shared in, in the Holy Spirit in some way. In some way, the Holy Spirit, it, it's all been laid out there for them. What they're doing is not an accident by walking away. It's not, they're not doing it out of ignorance. It's not a, a temporary lapse of judgment. It is a willful rejection of the revelation that they have. And notice what it says. It is impossible for them to repent. The point is, is this. This is not an accidental thing that you can do. This is not a slip of the tongue. This is not something you do out of ignorance. It is a, you have knowledge that this is of God and you willfully and deliberately slander the person of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the one that interests me more than any other. Why is it unforgivable? Why is this one sin unforgivable? The first thing we probably think, well, is it somehow worse? Is it the worst of the worst sins? My answer to that is, that's not why it's unforgivable. Let me explain why. Did you know that you can blaspheme Jesus every day of your life? By the way, people do. People use Jesus Christ as a slur and as an epitaph, as a curse word in their conversation. They are blaspheming the name of God every single day. Did you know you can do that every day and you can be forgiven? That's what Jesus just said in these verses. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit... You can't. Now, is that because somehow the Holy Spirit is more valuable than Jesus? Is he, is he somehow worth more than Jesus? Well, we know that's not true, right? Because the Bible teaches us they're co-equal members of the Godhead. So it's not because he's more valuable than Jesus. There has to be something else going on. And here's what I think it is. You and I, every day as unbelievers, we are walking down a road. The Bible describes this as the broad road of destruction. On this road, as unbelievers, we are under the wrath of, of God. That's Ephesians 2. We are dead in our sin. That's Romans 6. And we are headed toward destruction. Uh, Pastor Chuck mentioned this a few weeks ago. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is what? Death. As unbelievers, we're all on this road. And the only way we can be rescued, the only way that we can get off this road, is we have to stop and we have to turn. By the way, that's what the word repentance means. We have to repent. The key to forgiveness is repentance. We have to turn and we have to go to the cross of Christ and we have to ask Him for forgiveness and accept Him as our Savior. And He pays for our sins through His death on the cross. But here's the thing, as you're walking along this road, what is it that makes you stop? Something has to make you stop. Something has to open your mind and say, man, you're on the wrong road. Turn around. That thing that makes you stop is called conviction. 
You are convicted. You stop. You turn. You repent. And you go to the cross of Christ. And you are rescued. And you are saved. Now here's my question. What is the source of that thing that stops you? What is the source of your conviction? The Bible says that's the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says this, And when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now here's the thing. You can be on this road of destruction. And you can be cursing Jesus every day and blaspheming Jesus every day. And the Holy Spirit can come in and convict you of your sin. That's His job. That's what He does. And He can say, man, look what you're doing. And you still got the chance to turn and repent and go to the cross of Christ. But folks, when you reject and blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you are cutting off the, the limb that you're sitting on. Let me tell you what I mean. Let's, let's change our analogy. Let's say you're in the middle of this broad river. And it's a fast-moving river. And at the end of that river is these waterfalls. And you're going to go over these waterfalls and you've got certain death. And you've got a motor on your boat. And all you got to do is you got to crank that motor and turn it against that current and make it to the bank and make it to safety. Well, what would you be doing if you undid that motor and dropped it into the water? You would be cutting yourself off from the source of your rescue. That is exactly what you're doing when you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. The one who convicts, the one who stops you in your tracks, the one who tries to turn you around, you have cut yourself off from the source of your rescue. See, the reason there's no forgiveness is because there will never be any conviction. The Holy Spirit has removed Himself from your life. You have slandered Him. You have cut Him off. There can never be any conviction in your life. The people that don't get forgiveness, the reason they don't is because they never ask for it. They never want it. Nothing ever stops them in their tracks. They're on their way to destruction without rescue. Number three. Can this sin be committed today? Now, I said up front that the ESV said that this is a puzzling uh, saying. And it is. It raises a lot of questions. And there are some who say that you cannot commit this sin today. And the reason they say that is because in the example we have, they look at Jesus and they say He's possessed by the devil. So these people would say, well, Jesus is not here in the flesh anymore. He's not healing people. He's not casting out demons, so you can't say that anymore. Now, I kind of get their reasoning, but here's the problem with their statement. This is a sin against the Holy Spirit, not against Jesus. I don't understand why the, the, the physical uh, presence of Jesus would be required. The fact is, yes, I do believe you can still commit it today because the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is working. Yes, you can slur Him. Yes, you can slander Him. Yes, you can blaspheme Him. By the way, I believe this is backed up by Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. A, a verse, by the way, that was written after Jesus had ascended into heaven and after the Holy Spirit had come on the day of Pentecost. It says this, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace. See, the fact is, even after Jesus was gone, the Bible says it's still possible to outrage the Spirit of grace, to insult the Holy Spirit, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Two more quick questions. Can a Christian commit this sin? Well, I got some good news for you. I got some really good news. 
You see, as a Christian, when you become a real believer, you are born again. And the Bible tells us that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus put it this way in John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father and He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and He will be in you. See, the fact is, when when we're born again, we are given the Holy Spirit. Paul says we're sealed with Him, uh, which, by the way, Paul also says as a guarantee of our inheritance. I love that part. Jesus just says it a different way. He's with you. He's in you. He's your advocate. He's your helper. Now, listen to me. The Spirit of God will never deny, slander, or blaspheme Himself. By the way, if you go back and read Mark chapter 3, when the, when the scribes said of Jesus, he's, he's got the devil. Jesus said, that's, that's ridiculous. Can a house divided against itself stand? Well, if that's true of the demonic, it's certainly true of the holy. The Holy Spirit's not going to slander himself. He is your helper. He is your, your advocate. He will not allow you to do it either. Trust me. That's not, he, he is a guarantee. His job is to get you across that finish line. He is not going to let you do anything along those lines. So you do not have to worry as a true believer about committing that sin. And I hope that puts your mind at ease. Last question. Have you ever committed this sin? Have you ever committed this sin? Well, this is a harder question to answer, but let me just say this. That person that's on that road of destruction and they have slandered the Holy Spirit, they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, can I tell you, they ain't worried about it. The the Holy Spirit has withdrawn from their life. There is no more conviction. He's not active in their life. They're not going through life saying, man, I wonder if I am blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you're worried that you may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, that's a pretty good sign that you have not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me take that a little bit further. If you're still ashamed of your sin, if there's still something inside of you that wants to be made right with God, trust me, that is a very reliable sign that the Holy Spirit is still working in your life and you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Now, I want to close with this. I hope that this sermon has helped you in some way understand a little bit better the unforgivable sin. And I hope that some of you, if by chance this was something that worried you, that you thought, man, maybe I've done this. I hope that some of what I've said has set your mind at ease. But I want to close by making sure that we don't miss the obvious. Okay? You see, the fact is, when you, you run across this scripture in the Bible, your mind and your eye immediately go to, oh my gosh, there's, a, there's an unforgivable sin. Have I, have I committed that? What, what, I mean, you just focus on it, and that's natural. But if you're not careful, you miss the statement that Jesus made immediately before that. Mark three twenty eight. Truly, by the word, that word truly means Amen. Go look it up. That's amen. See, when we pray, we say at the end, let it be. Amen. This this is what I want it to be. Jesus says amen at the beginning because he's saying this is what it is. He don't have to hope. He don't have to guess. He don't have to pray about it. He's saying this is is true. This This is how it is. 
Truly, Jesus said, I say to you, say it with me, two words, all sins. All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemy they utter. You hear that? All sins. Yeah, we focus on that one, but let me tell you, 99.9999999% of sins are forgivable. And you and I should rejoice in that fact. You see, many of you, we're just human beings. And in our mind, we get this idea that there are just some sins that are worse than others. There's just some sins that you just think, man, that's just, that's, I just don't know how God forgive, could forgive that. Sins like murder. Sins like adultery. Maybe sins like uh, blasphemy. Sins like um, denying Christ. And we think, that, I just don't know if those can be forgiven. Let me, let me set your mind at ease. All sins. All sins can be forgiven. Jesus is not putting those... He's putting in them in the category of all sins. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, and to cover it up, had her husband Uriah murdered. And guess what? He was forgiven. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, verse 13, says this, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And guess what? He was forgiven. The Apostle Peter denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times. And guess what? He was forgiven. All sins. All sins. You, you can't... I know we think there's... Listen, let's take abortion. In a crowd this size, more than likely, there's a woman here who's had an abortion. And other people don't know it. And in your mind, the shame of this as the years pass just weighs heavier and heavier and heavier on you. And you think, I just don't see how God can forgive that. Let me tell you, all sins. All sins. All sins. All you have to do is ask. Sexual perversion. We, we tend to take certain sins of sexual perversion and put them in a category and think they're just too bad. But they're not. They're not. Go read the book of Corinthians. Paul lists those sins and he says, And such were some of you. But you are clean. You are holy. You are sanctified. There's no... They're all forgivable. If you only ask. You take the Lord's name in vain. You blaspheme God the Father. You blaspheme and curse Jesus Christ. And guess what? The Holy Spirit can still come and open your heart and open your mind and convict you and turn you to the cross of Christ and you can find forgiveness. All sins. Listen, you can pledge allegiance to Satan. As bad as that is. And some have done it. And guess what? The Holy Spirit has convicted them turned them around, and they found their way to Jesus and their believers today. All sins. All sins. All sins. Listen, it is a wonderful thing to know that you have not committed the unforgivable sin. It's like a, it's like a weight being lifted off of you. But here's the thing. You may not have committed the unforgivable sin, but you very well still may have sins in your life that are not forgiven. And if you don't take the opportunity to turn and make your way to the cross of Christ, you are still on that road to destruction. And if you die without those sins forgiven, 
I mean, here's the thing. This is what, this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. Turn. Turn. There's the cross of Jesus. And if you'll go to that cross of Jesus, and if you'll kneel at that cross and ask Him to come into your heart as your Savior, you will find forgiveness and every sin you've ever committed will be paid for by His death. Or, or you can stay on that road, go over those falls and spend eternity paying for them yourself. You still have a chance. You still have a choice. If you still feel shame for your sin, if you've still got this desire inside to be made right with God, don't miss this opportunity. He's here. He's here. The forgiver is here. The, the one who is long-suffering and kind and good and compassionate is saying, come to the water and drink freely. He's here. He delights in showing mercy. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have sins in your life that are not forgiven, you've never come to the cross of Christ, please, please, I beg of you, do not go another day. Do not go another day. Listen, the longer you stay on the road, the harder it gets to turn. The longer you go, the, the, every time you push back against the Holy Spirit, not today, not today, not today, it gets harder and harder and harder. Now, He's still coming. He's still working. But it gets harder. Don't miss this opportunity. The forgiver is here. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouraging great parts of it. And I thank you for the shocking and disturbing in-your-face parts of it. Because we need every single bit of it. Now, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, I can get up here and talk and do the best I can. And without you, absolutely nothing would ever happen. You are the convictor. You are the one that is here to convict us of our sins. I ask you this day, right now, in the name of Jesus... If there's someone here that doesn't know Him, if there's someone here that's still on that road to destruction and hasn't turned, if there's someone here that knows you, but yet there is a sin in their life that is dragging them down and shaming them and stopping them from becoming what they should be, Holy Spirit, this day, this day, show them the way to the cross of Christ. Show them to a God who delights in showing mercy. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.